As you may recall, before we were interrupted by Hurricane Irma, we were in a brief series on relationships. And we talked about singleness, and we talked about marriage, and I think we were sort of surprised, those of us who are married, I think we're surprised at how applicable the Sermon on Singleness was for our lives. And those of us who are single, I think we're also perhaps surprised by how important the Sermon on and the teaching on marriage was. And I hope the same thing will happen today. Uh, Those of us who are not actively parenting, I hope that this will be useful to us and, in addition, of course, be immediately applicable to those who are in the, the, the parenting stage. So let's read... Ephesians chapter 6, the first three verses, it's on page 1082 of the Bibles that are available to you. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Next week, we'll be looking at the fourth verse, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Let me tell you about a couple of dinners at which we were guests, and these were Actually, one of them we were hosts and the other we were, we were the guests, but they were with families who have small children. And uh, you've been in this sort of situation either as the parents of those small children and trying to keep them in order with guests around or visiting someone else's house. And uh, we were at this, uh, the, this family's house, and let me just say, it was a long, long ago in a far, far away place, so no, I'm not talking about anybody present or anybody that you could know. Yes, right. So, uh, uh, and, and I think we can all relate to both of these stories, particularly the first one, because the parents were having a great deal of difficulty with their children. And uh, they wanted the children to sit down. The children didn't want to sit down. Uh, they wanted the children to eat what the mom had prepared. The children didn't want to eat what the mom had prepared. And so the parents went through this routine of giving orders to the children, the children disobeying the orders, the parents uh, changing course, giving different orders, the, con- the kids continuing to disobey the orders, and uh, whining and complaining and saying what they would do and what they wouldn't do. Uh, and then um, really made it kind of an uncomfortable dinner, I think, for everybody. Um, in the other dinner that we had, the parents were there, and I think there were mashed potatoes being served. And, of course, you know that it's fun to play with mashed potatoes. And I didn't hear the particular, particular prohibition that the parents had given. I think the dad had given a prohibition to the children that they were not allowed to play with their mashed potatoes. I didn't even hear that given, but I'm sure that it was clear to, to this uh, little girl. Uh, and so what did she do? She played with her mashed potatoes. And uh, the father didn't say anything. He simply said, excuse me. He picked his daughter up, took her to another room, closed the door. The daughter started crying. (laughs) They came back. He put her back in her seat. And we continued the meal. And it was a delightful meal. And everybody was happy. Now, including the little girl. Now, the, the thing that struck me about these situations was both parents, both sets of parents had the same desires for their children. 
And yet one set of parent was, uh, was in the process of producing unhappy children. Because the first children in that first scenario, they really were unhappy being in control of the evening. They wanted to be in control, but they found when they were telling their parents what to do and their parents basically were obeying them, they were very unhappy children because the, the roles were reversed. And so when we look at this text, it's not going to bring anything particularly surprising to us as it says, children, obey your parents. Um, but what I want to focus on here is not so much the children. I doubt that there's any child here who has not heard that before. But what I want to focus on is the parents' responsibility to teach our children to obey us. Um, here we find that Paul says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And uh, the reason that it's right is in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. Have you heard that before? Of course, that comes from the Ten Commandments. Uh, we call this the Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and mother. And then Paul parenthetically adds, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, there's some discussion about what exactly that means. This is the first commandment with a promise. Because uh, it, it, uh, for a previous commandment has an implicit promise, but this may be the only one that has a promise attached directly to the commandment. But in that case, it's not just the first one, it's the only one. And so there's some debate about what does this mean it's the first commandment, but it may mean this, and I tend to think this, that it means that this is the first commandment regarding children. That is to say, this is their commandment. This is their priority commandment. When it comes to children, this is the primary commandment uh, in, with regard uh, to children. It's not that they need to oh, disobey the other ones, but when it comes to them, this is their commandment. It speaks directly to children. And then what it says is that it's not only right, uh, children tend to get that and and parents tend to get that, it is right for children to obey their parents because God has commanded uh, them to do so. But not only that, and I want to focus more on this today, it is good for children to obey, obey parents. Why is it good for children to obey parents? It's good for the children. It's good for the children. Look at verse 3 that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That is the promise, if we go back to the fifth commandment, that is the promise that is attached to this commandment, that it may go well with the children in the land. In what land? Well, in the context, if we go back to the Ten Commandments, the land into which they were going, the land that God had promised them, the promised land. But it's interesting that Paul takes that commandment and he extends it out, doesn't it? doesn't he? To our situation. We no longer live in that promised land. Uh, we live in Florida. But Paul is saying that this is a, a, a command with a promise that, that applies not only to the Israelites in their specific historical context, but this applies to, to children, believing children, children of believing families throughout all time, wherever they might live, that it may go well with them and that they may live long in the land. Parents, how many of you would like for your children to have good and long lives? Of course. That's what we all want for our children. And you see, we as parents need to keep that in mind. Because that's the, that's the point here. That our children need for us to teach them to obey us so that it may go well with them. You see, this is where we often fail. We often want our children to obey us 
so that it may go well with us. You see, we often uh, require obedience or dismiss disobedience depending on, on our particular needs or moods at the time. So something that we might come down hard on at the time because we've had a rough day and because we're impatient and tired, at another time we might find it to be amusing or charming and so we laugh at it and encourage it, which causes great confusion in the children. But you see, what we're we're doing is we're focusing on what do I need at this moment rather than saying what does my child need for all of life and what my child needs in the early stages is to learn to obey us. That's what will give good and long life to our children. Um, Now, obedience. Let's talk about obedience a little bit. There's a book, and I'm I'm glad to see that it is, is, is past the test of time. It came out a little too late for us. I wish it had come out early enough for us to have read it before we had children. But it came out a little bit late, but... Thankfully, we were in a community that was teaching and practicing some of these principles that later came out in this book. It's Ted Tripp's Shepherding a Child's Heart. And I asked a young pastor uh, a few months ago, I said, what is the standard child-raising book now? And he said, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And so some of the things that I'll be saying come from that, and I commend that book to you. But he emphasizes that obedience should be Without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. So the parent gives an order to the children, and uh, the children should immediately obey that order. Without challenging, say, why do I have to do that? I don't want to do that. Uh, you shouldn't make me do that, or whatever it might be, without excuse, oh, I'm tired, uh, but I have homework to do, or whatever it might be, or without delay. And children are really good at, at buying time uh, and, and without delay. And parents are often good at using methods that teach our children to disobey us for a period of time. Have you ever used the one, two, three? So you give a command, the child doesn't obey immediately, and then the parent says, one, two, Three. And so what are we teaching our children? You may disobey me on number one, and I'm encouraging you to do that. You may disobey me on number two, and I'm encouraging you to do that. And then finally, when we get to three, I will take the role of parent. And we will, uh, you will take the role of child. But until that time, you will be the authority, and I will be under your control. You see how that works? And then children are often good at, at multiples of three. Right? Because you'll see parents, because we've already started down that road that you don't have to obey me right away. And so the children get the idea. It's like, well, I bet I can stretch this thing out, right? And so then we say, did you hear what I said? I'm going to count again. Ooh, now they're up to six, plus all the negotiating time in there. So what are we doing unwittingly as parents? We're saying, don't take me seriously. Don't take me serious immediately at least. Uh, you don't have to obey me quite yet. You see, we don't mean to say that, but the children figure that out very quickly. Delaying, arguing, challenging, excusing, whining. All children seem to know how to do that. Whining, they are all forms of disobedience. This is the goal, that parents tell our children one time what we want, and they obey it. 
Now, this puts a lot of responsibility on us as parents. We should not give orders lightly, should we? Because whenever we give an order, we need to be willing to back it up. And so we ought not to be giving orders lightly. If we tell them not to do something or to do something, we need to be willing to make sure it happens and to discipline, which we'll talk about next week, to discipline them for disobedience. Now, when do we do this? This 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 uh, stage of obedience is during the first years. Depends on uh, some children take longer to learn this than others. Uh, my two children had different spans in which it took them to learn that they had to obey us. But generally, the first six or maybe up to eight years is the time when we're teaching the lesson of disobedience. Of, oh, uh, obedience, sorry. Um, no, not disobedience. We're good at that. No, obedience, obedience. Um, and if you don't establish it during these first years, it's very, very difficult to establish it later. Um, if you do establish it early, then the next state will be much easier and much more pleasant for everybody. And another thing, if you teach your children to obey you, they will be a delight not only to you, they will be happier children, but they will be, be a delight to other people. Other people will want them to come over to their houses. Now, that's just the first stage, though. That's just the first stage. I was reading a, a kind of a critical review of Shepherding a Child's Heart, and this uh, person was saying he thinks that the only relationship that parents have to children is a question of authority and obedience. No, that's not his point. It's called shepherding a child's what? Heart. And the whole point is not just to produce outwardly obedient children. The whole point is to get to their hearts. And that leads us into the second stage. So the first stage of of child education is obedience. The second stage is wisdom. Is wisdom. And this is where Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 comes in. We read it earlier, but I'll read it again. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, understanding words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland to your head and pendants for your neck. This is the second stage. Once children have learned to obey us, first-time obedience, now we may move on to deeper questions that have to do with personal character or what the Bible calls wisdom. And these require much more than mere obedience. Much more than mere obedience. Look at the words that are here. Verse 2. To know wisdom, instruction, understand words of insight, um, to receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion. And here the context of Proverbs is that a father is talking to an adolescent son or maybe a pre-adolescent son, a teenager or almost a teenager. And so now we're moving into the second stage, not just a question of, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I will do what you say. But now it's a question of these things that have to flow out of a heart. And uh, they're much more difficult. And it is possible uh, to for a rebellious heart to produce outward conformity 
to a parent's instruction. You can get a rebellious person to clean up his room. You can get a rebellious person to cut the lawn or to take out the trash or to go to church or even maybe to read the Bible or to participate in family prayers. But you cannot get a rebellious heart to practice things like uh, wisdom, justice, righteousness, equity, prudence. Or if we look at, in the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. You see, rebellious hearts cannot produce these things. And so in this second stage, we really have the opportunity to get more and more to our children's hearts. Because the bent of their heart will expose itself more and more as they as they have the, the harder lessons to learn, the lessons of wisdoms, the lessons of, of personal character development. And um, at this stage they'll see how difficult it is to live as a wise person, and they'll see the bent of their own heart And they will see, by God's grace, their need of grace. It's interesting that as, as the Proverbs of Solomon go along, we get to this, this kind of summary verse of the teaching of wisdom. Verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so as, as we try to teach wisdom, the bent of their heart, whether they'll despise that wisdom or whether they will say, This wisdom is beyond me. I need a relationship with the Lord in order to practice this wisdom. Now, we delight. We delight in childish expressions of faith. We delight when our our two-year-old wants to pray. We delight when our four-year-old wants to sing hymns. We delight when our six-year-old asks the lady at the, the store, Do you know Jesus? And those are wonderful, wonderful expressions of faith and real faith. But then when they get into the preteen and the teen years and we're talking to them about these, these principles of wisdom, they begin to see and we begin to see where their hearts are and it provides an opportunity. I was trying to trace down, I thought it was in the book I'm mentioning, but I, I couldn't find this example there, but there was an example that stuck in my mind about a dad when he was moving from the, the question of obedience into wisdom and his son finally exploded in anger and said, Dad, I can't do everything that you want me to do. And the dad, instead of saying, well, you better get to it, he said, exactly. That's right. Of course you can't. I'm so glad that you're figuring that out. That's our situation. And that's why God's grace is so necessary in all of our lives, in your life, son, in my life as well. I'm so glad you're seeing your inability to do all that you should do. Because that's our state. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why God sent a Savior to us. Because we can't do all that is required of us. Do you see how this, this, this dynamic works in this, in this stage of wisdom? Wisdom is the goal from approximately, depending if they've gotten the, the obedience down, but wisdom is the goal starting 7, 8, 9, 10, depending on the child, of course, and all the way up, to, up through adolescence. Now, unfortunately, adolescence has a bad reputation. Uh, when, when our girls were moving into the teenage years, people would roll their eyes and say, oh, no, 
teenage years. But the reason it has a bad reputation oftentimes is because they didn't learn obedience and there continues to be a power struggle going on. And it's very difficult to have a power struggle with somebody who's about your size or maybe bigger and uh, they can exercise their will a, a lot more than a little child can. But you see, if things are going well in this stage, parents of adolescents will give fewer and fewer instructions and they will discipline seldom, but they will have more and more conversations with their children. Um, I remember as our girls were getting older, they would often come to me, one particularly, and she would say, Dad, what should I do? She'd be facing a dilemma. Dad, what should I do? Well, I knew what she she should do. And it would have been easy for me just to say, you should do this. But I'd say, what do you think? Dad, just tell me. Say, no, no, I want you to think about what, what, what should you do? Now, what am I forcing her to do? It's forcing her to try to exercise wisdom, discretion, understanding. And no, dad, just tell me that the time for that is over. I'll, I'll help you work through this, but, but what do you think you should do? And then sometimes come to the right conclusion, sometimes not, but, but that's, that's a different sort of relationship and a different sort of conversation than simply obey me now. Now, adolescents, and we have some adolescents here and some pre-adolescents here. Adolescents need to understand something. And that is that trust and privileges are gained or lost according to demonstrations of maturity or immaturity. So trust is not something that's given freely. Trust is something that's given on the basis of a demonstration of maturity. And um, now I'm in an uncomfortable situation of, of, for the first time in my life, having my mom in my congregation. And so when I bring up things, I'm in danger of reminding her of things long forgotten. But but at that risk, the, the very first time, the very first time my brother had the keys to the car, and we were able to go out together, just my brother and I. He was not two years older than I, so he was all of 16, and I was all of about 14. I don't know how at that age we got the beer. I really don't remember <laughs> that detail. But we did. And not being very experienced with drinking beer, I drank too much. Now, he didn't drink as much, to his credit. He was driving, but he did drink certainly more than he should at 16 and driving a motor vehicle. So you can see where this is going, right? It did not go well. And I don't remember exactly what happened after that, but if we had gone back to my parents the next time, let's say the next weekend, hey, can we have the keys? We want to go out. And they say, no. And we come back with the typical teenage response, you don't trust me. What should they say? Of course not. You are not trustworthy. Your actions have demonstrated that I cannot trust you. Show me that I can trust you. Then you can have the keys again. So adolescents need to remember that, um, that it is gained or lost privileges according to maturity demonstrated. Now, the final stage, the final stage, and this is very brief, And it's the final stage of the second stage, or the third stage, we could call it. And it's the stage of independence. If you go back to a verse that we looked at when we were looking at marriage, 
on page 3 of the Bibles that you have available to you, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, and it's the, the description of marriage that a man shall leave his father and his mother. You don't even need to look it up. It's just that. A man shall leave his father and his mother. And what is that stage? It's the stage of independence. And that's the whole goal, goal of the whole process of obedience, wisdom, independence. The whole idea is that they can live good, prosperous, godly lives for the glory of God, in the grace of God, and in faith in Jesus Christ without us being around. And this is the culmination. And this is, as they're ending their time with us, this is the focus, getting them ready to make all of their decisions on their own. And during this final stage, if things have gone well, we should be able simply to say to them, do whatever you want. If they ask us what they should do, we should be able to say, if things have gone well, do whatever you want. Why? Because at that point, if they've learned obedience, they've learned wisdom, then we can be confident that what they will do will be in accordance with godly wisdom. And the other reason is this. Because pretty soon, you know what? They will be doing whatever they want. So it's also embracing reality that once they leave our homes, they will be doing exactly what they want. Now, there are probably few topics like parenting and obedience, these questions, that bring more sorrow and regret to our hearts. If we are children and we have been disobedient, uh, rebellious children, uh, or when we look back on our failings as parents, uh, and Sandy and I still remember things to our horror that we did or did not do. And we continue to go back to our children and say, would you please forgive me for this? Now, they're very gracious with us and they say, mom and dad, just stop. Okay, just stop. But but we realize more and more how far we have fallen short. And so I end with this. I end with this. And this is the message we want our kids to get. And this is the message that we need to get as well and needs to permeate everything we do as Christian parents. And it's the message that God's forgiveness is available to all. It's available to our children. And it's available to our parents. Did we fail as children? Certainly we have. Have we failed those of us as parents? Certainly we have, and we continue to do so. But God's abundant forgiveness is available to all of us. And God's faithfulness to generation after generation. And so we need to do, those of us who are parents, what we're trying to shepherd our children's hearts to do. And that is that we would see our inability and that we'd see that God has provided a mighty Savior that is sufficient for us and sufficient for our children and for our children's children until Christ comes again. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for the instruction of Your Word that teaches us the way in which we should go as children and as parents. And I pray, oh, what a delight to have these children here in our church. And I thank You for blessing us with many kind of middle-aged children. And I pray, Father, that you would protect every one of them, that each of them, that you would work in each of them an obedient heart toward their parents and towards you so that it might go well with them and so that they might have long life and good lives on the earth glorifying you. And I pray also as many of them are entering into the stage of wisdom, that you would grant them wisdom and prudence and that they would see their need of you 
the need to fear you, their need to love you, their need to know you, their need to receive your grace day by day. And I pray for us as parents. Oh, Father, we, we look to you as our Father to teach us what it means to be a parent, and we see constantly how far we fall short. But I pray that you would help us to be able to keep an eye on the prize, an eye on the goal of, of teaching our children obedience and wisdom so that they might become independent of us and go on to glorify you with their lives, whether or not we're around, whether or not we're still on this earth, that they would go on and pass the same on to the next generation so that there might be a grand heritage for generation after generation. And we all pray, O oh God, as we look back on our our childish or youthful errors and on our parental failings, that you would forgive us all for our sins, that you would restore us, that you would help us to forgive one another so that we might go on having our hearts turned towards you and turned one another, towards one another. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.